For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The prophet Isaiah wrote these words about 2,700 years ago, speaking about Christ and his coming and who he would be, that God himself would come and rescue his people. 700 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah writes about him and his coming. Famous verses that we read over and over again at Christmas stories, but one of the lesser known verses is a verse that Matthew actually quotes in Matthew chapter 4, and it's from verse 2 in this chapter, and it's that people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. As I was preparing for tonight's message, I came across an essay by C.S. Lewis titled Meditation in a Tool Shed. And Lewis, as he explains this observation, as I'm reading what he's written, a light dawns on me that there's an application here to this text in Isaiah 9, verse 2. And so tonight, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at Lewis's essay, at least a part of it, and share that with you, and then use that essay as a way to look at the Christmas story this evening. So I'd like to read part of that essay to you this evening. Lewis writes, I was standing today in the dark tool shed. The sun was shining outside, and through the crack at the top of the door, there came a sunbeam. From where I stood, that beam of light with specks of dust floating in it was the most striking thing in the place. Everything else was almost pitch black. I was seeing the beam, not seeing things by it. Then I moved, so that the beam fell on my eyes. Instantly, the whole previous picture vanished. I saw no tool shed, and above all, no beam. Instead, I saw framed in the irregular cranny at the top of the door green leaves moving on the branches of a tree outside, and beyond that, 90-odd million miles away, the sun. Looking along the beam and looking at the beam are very different experiences. The Isaiah saying in verse 2 that there are people that see a great light, and these same people have this light shining on them. He's saying they have this experience of looking at the beam and the experience of looking along the beam of light. He says it's one thing, experience that you get of a thing by looking along it. You get another view of it when you look at it. And so I thought that's what we would do this morning. We would take some time to look at different aspects of the Christmas story, looking at them, but not just looking at them, looking along them and see what we can see. So where I'd like to begin is in Matthew's gospel. And at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, he does not tell us about the birth of Christ, but he tells us what precedes the birth of Christ. He tells us about the birth of Christ in chapter 2, but in chapter 1, he describes the family of Christ by giving us a genealogy in Matthew chapter 1. He's saying, 
not once upon a time or long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. He says, no, here's the family of Jesus. Here's his family tree, and here are names of people that you will recognize, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Solomon and David. Historically verifiable people in the line of Jesus. He's saying this is not a fairy tale. This really happened. These are real people. But when you look along the story, when you look along the genealogy, when you look along the family tree of Jesus, you see something a little bit different. Sure, those things are still there, but you see something that Matthew, I think, wants you to see, that unless you look along the story, you don't see. You see familiar names, but you see some names that are kind of peculiar, especially in that ancient patriarchal time. He lists the names of five women in Jesus' genealogy. Today you say, well, that's not so strange, but then it would have been strange. It would have been very peculiar to list a woman, let alone five women in the genealogy. And it's the fact that Matthew lists these five that are so interesting. For example, let me read to you from verse 3 of Matthew 1. It says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Now what's so interesting about that? See, Jesus was descended from Perez, not Zerah. But he lists Perez and Zerah, Tamar and Judah. What's he getting at? Well, he's showing us something that he really wants you to understand. It's Tamar. And who's Tamar? She's the daughter-in-law of Judah. So why does he list Tamar? Well, as it turns out in the story in Genesis 38, we see that what Tamar does is she tricks her father-in-law, Judah, into sleeping with her. Now, everywhere in God's word, that violates the law of God. It's always spoken against. And see, it's out of this dysfunctional family that Christ comes. Another example. In verse 5, Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Who was Rahab? Wait a minute. Rahab's not even a Jew. She's a Canaanite. And worse yet, she's a prostitute. What is she doing in Jesus' genealogy? And I think the most remarkable one is the way he describes King David. And you say, well, King David, what, he's in Jesus' genealogy. He's supposed to be born in the line of David. But it's how he tells us about David that's so remarkable. He could have said David was the father of Solomon, Solomon the father of Rehoboam. But that's not what he says. In verse 5, he says, or I'm sorry, yeah, in verse 6 he says, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Why doesn't he just tell us who Solomon's mother was? Why doesn't he just say her name? Her name was Bathsheba. But Matthew wants to bring to our attention the relationship with all these people. Who was Bathsheba? It was the one whom David had the, the affair with. Who was Uriah's wife? And so what did David do to cover up the affair and the child that was to be born? He arranged to have Uriah killed. Matthew wants you to understand that it was out of this genealogy that came the Christ. You look at this and you thought, I had a, 
I think I had a weird family, but this family is strange and dysfunctional. What does it mean? It means that for those that are excluded by society, those who've been excluded by culture, and those who are even excluded by the law of God can be brought into the family of Christ. See, it's not the good that are in and the bad that are out. It's everyone is in only by the grace of God. We have right standing with God because of what Jesus did. Not because of who we are. Not because of our genealogy. That's what Matthew wants us to understand. Let's turn to another aspect of the story. It's of Jesus' mother, Mary. We're told that Jesus was born to Mary. And the thing about Mary is, she was a virgin, we're told. Not only a virgin when she conceived, but a virgin when she gave birth. And people today look at that story and they say, well, wait a minute. That just, that's not right. That's not right. Virgins don't remain virgins once they've conceived and, and have children. They might have believed that like 2,000 years ago. But today, we know better. But I think when you look along the story, I think you see something else. I think you find out that maybe they knew a little bit more than we give them credit for. Because when you look at Mary's reaction when the angel comes and tells her that she is going to have a child, what does she say? How can this be? I'm still a virgin. Now this word virgin here can be translated into young woman, but here in the text, it doesn't say that. It says, I know not a man, meaning exactly what we think it means. And Mary's saying, I know where babies come from, and I know how that happens, and I've not yet known a man. How can this be? Or you look at Joseph, her betrothed. When he finds out that his fiancée is pregnant, what does he do? He makes arrangements to divorce her. Because why? Because he knows where babies come from, and he's not the father, so someone else must be. But something changes. An angel comes to Joseph and says, Joseph, take Mary to be your wife. Take her into your house. Because she has conceived not from another man, but from the Holy Spirit, from God himself. And the baby she is carrying will be the Savior of the world. And so Joseph did exactly what the angel said. And he took Mary into his home, knowing that both of them would have been ridiculed for having conceived the child prior to being married. They did exactly what the angel said, even though they knew that virgins didn't conceive. Why? Because God reached his hand into the story and changed everything. One last aspect I'd like to draw to your attention. It's the story of the star found in Matthew 2. The star that signals and heralds the birth of the Christ child. It was a star that was observed far, far away by men in the east. And it says these men that observed the star traveled to Jerusalem and inquired of King Herod. They said, King Herod, where is the one born king of the Jews? And this startled Herod 
because he hadn't heard. And so he inquired of his high priests and of the teachers of the law and said, where is this child to be born? And they said, the prophet Micah says, Bethlehem. See, 700 years earlier, the prophet Micah had said that the child would be born in Bethlehem. And this didn't please Herod, so he sent the wise men off to come back to make sure that that's where he was because his plan was to kill the child. But Herod failed. And when we look at the story, we see that, again, this is a historically verifiable claim. He's saying it happened at a particular time and in a particular place, just like the prophet 700 years ago said it would. But then you change your perspective and you look along the story and you see something else. The light shines down on the story, on the Christ child. And when you look along the story, you look along from whence the light came, the star, and you look back and you see that the one who created every star has come into the world. And the star over Bethlehem that night illuminated a question that the wise men asked. It was, where is the one born king of the Jews? That question draws us into the future, to a time where Jesus again would be labeled king of the Jews. It was a label that would be placed upon his cross that he was crucified on. It was a time when darkness tried to extinguish the light. And for a short time, Everyone thought that darkness had succeeded. That was until the light dawned on Easter morning to reveal that the tomb was empty. That Jesus had risen and darkness had failed just as he said it would happen. When the light dawned on Easter morning, it revealed that God has always been and will always be. The light that dawned on Easter morning reveals the lengths to which the God of the universe will go to make things right for his creation. The light that dawned on Easter morning tells the world and tells those who believe in him not just that fact, but there is a brighter future beyond the resurrection. We're told that he will come again And he will be the light for all things. John tells us in Revelation 22 that there will be no more night. They will not need a light of a lamp or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light. And they will reign forever and ever. When we look through the story of the star, we see so much more. When we look at the Christmas story, we see a remarkable claim. We see a claim that God himself became man. As a baby, vulnerable, he came into this world to defeat the darkness. But when you look along the Christmas story, what you see is that he did this for you and for me. The people that Isaiah was speaking about in chapter, in chapter 9 
were not just the Israelites 2,700 years ago, but you and I. When we look along the Christmas story, we see that no matter your past, your present circumstances, or your future failures, Christ died for you. God loves you that much. And so when the light dawns, we're told not to be afraid. Because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 2,000 years ago in the town of David, the Savior was born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. The baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger is a sign to you of God's love. Now the sad thing this Christmas Eve is that there are many who have yet to see that light or have the light shone upon them. For one reason or another, maybe they've decided to ignore the light or to mock the light. Or maybe it's just they do not understand the light. They don't understand the story. But God has made a way for them. There is hope. Remember, the story tells us that he did all of this for everyone. And he's put a light in each one of you that believe so that you could be a light in this dark world. So that he could continue to shine that light through you into the darkness. So that people through your life can see the Christmas story and along the Christmas story. And we must always remember that we're just like the moon. We borrow our light. To shine the light of Christ, we must continue to gaze upon the light in the story. We must continue to look along the story and be children of the story so that the light of God shines through us into this dark world. To illuminate the truth of the Christmas story. To reveal the joy and the hope there is in Jesus. I pray for each and every one of you that that light shines this Christmas through you and every day after. Amen. Thank you for spending some time in God's Word with us during this message. It was recorded live in worship at Trinity Church in Lyle, Illinois, where God is leading us on our mission to look, live, and love more like Jesus. Would you like to know more about a relationship with Christ or more about Trinity, who we are, what we believe, and where and when you might join us in worship or a growth group? Please visit our website at tlc4u.org. That's the letters T-L-C, the number four, and the letter U.org. May God bless you and yours abundantly through Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening.